Sam Saraswati Namaha Namaste. Namaste, everyone. This evening on page 329 of the Chandipat, we have a very fabulous subject, and it's called the Pradhanikam Rahasyam. And it's the most preeminent secret, and it's also the foremost secret, and it's also the first among secrets. So if you have any secrets that you want to let know, let me know. Uh, tonight is the night for sharing secrets. And uh, I'd like to, well, let's just read for a while and then we'll, we'll understand. Uh, uh, Adoitya is going to be able to point the camera and show the things that we're talking about. Uh, so presenting the three secrets of the 700 verses, Narayan is the seer, understood 32 syllables to the verse is the meter, the great remover of darkness, Mahakali, Mahalakshmi, Mahasaraswati, the great goddess of true wealth, and the great spirit of all pervading knowledge are the deities. The application of the recitation of these mantras is to inculcate the qualities of this scripture. So well, that's why we're studying this. This is the application. We want to inculcate. We want to fully imbibe. We want to become one and unite with the qualities of the study of this scripture. And that means, how do you do the puja? How do you bring this into your life? How do you make a lifestyle determined by the rhythm of the chandi? And the king said, Lord, he's talking to the Rishi, and he said, Lord, you have explained to me the manifestations of the energy that tears apart thought. Oh, knower of wisdom, now please describe the principal characteristics of their nature. Oh, twice born. Remember, he's born once from the womb of mother and once from the womb of wisdom. I bow to you. My guru, I bow to you. Oh, please, you are God to me. You are twice born to me. You are the embodiment of wisdom. Please tell me which intrinsic natures are to be worshipped and by which systems of worship will they be pleased. And the Rishi said, Oh, King, this secret is extremely esoteric. And it is said that it should not be readily divulged. But you are devoted to me and I find no cause not to tell you all. You deserve the whole nine yards. Sarabhas Adyamahalakshmi Triguna Parameshwari The Supreme Sovereign The Great Goddess of True Wealth who is comprised of all three qualities is the first and foremost of all causes. Her intrinsic nature is both definable and undefinable, and having distinguished all the individual phenomena of the universe, she resides within. O King, she holds in her hands a pomegranate, symbolizing the unity of all creation, the club with which he beats Asuras over the head by articulating mantras, the shield which is the faith which he displays, and a drinking vessel, and on her upper, she drinks the nectar of pure devotion, 
and uh, on her uppermost part, she bears a snake and a lingam. Remember, we saw the snake and the lingam on the head of Krishna in the in Trilingo Swami's ashram. She wears one too, which unites the male principle of consciousness with the female principle of energy. So the lingam around which is wrapped the snake of kundalini energy is upon the top of the head of Mahalakshmi. And she is the forearm Mahalakshmi in the center who represents the embodiment of all three gunas. Seeing the entire nothingness, the Supreme Sovereign, by the quality of darkness, assumed another excellent form. Could you please show us Mahakali forearms? And the, she... That form became a beautiful woman whose radiant body was black like soot. And her finely shaped mouth had large protruding teeth. Her eyes were large and her waist were thin. And she wore a yellow sari with a red border. In her forehand, she displayed the sword the sword of wisdom, the drinking cup of the nectar of devotion, a severed head of egotism, and the shield of faith with decapitated body parts forming a necklace and a garland of skulls were worn over her head. She took away all of our negativities. She took all our darkness away and she became dark. Having thus appeared, that manifestation of darkness, excellent among women, said to the great goddess of true wealth, so Kali says to Lakshmi, Mother, again and again I bow to you, give to me my names and describe the actions I am to perform. <laughs> I just took birth, well, what, what, why am I here? What do you call me for? The great measurement of consciousness. I called you to limit consciousness. The great remover of darkness. Take all the darkness and negativity out of the universe. Take it to yourself. The great destroyer. You will transform this entire creation. Hunger. Thirst. Sleep. Desire. Solely attentive to the battle. The dark night. The impassable. Not impossible, <laughs> impassable. No one gets beyond you. You are beyond all. No one can pass you. These are your names indicative of the actions that you perform. One who knows your activity by meditating upon these names attains the highest happiness. Let's try it one more time. The great measurement of consciousness. She measures consciousness by giving it boundaries. She gives it limitations and therefore we have a finite rather than an infinite consciousness. The great remover of darkness. She takes all our darkness away. The great destroyer, transformer. She makes everything become something different. She is hunger and thirst and sleep and desire. She is hungering after whatever desires we, we choose. We thirst after desire. She is uh, all of desire. She is solely attentive to the battle. The dark night and the impassable. 
If we know your, your, your activity by meditating upon these names, we attain to the highest happiness. O King, thus having spoken, the great goddess of true wealth, by means of her extremely pure quality of light, assumed another form with radiant luster like the moon. And that's Mahasaraswati with four arms. This supreme woman held in her hands a rosary of alphabets, Akshamala, the curved sword of wisdom of worship, the lute or vena of all harmony, and a book of all knowledge, and she too was given names. The great knowledge, the great vibration, the light of wisdom, sound, the spirit, and with sound of all vibrations. Of the spirit of all pervading knowledge, she who purifies with wisdom, creative energy, the cow who fulfills all desires, the womb of wisdom, and the lord of the mind. And then the great goddess of true wealth said to the great remover of darkness, that's the Mahakali, and to the spirit of all pervading knowledge, that's Maha Saraswati, goddesses, you both produce pairs, male and female, according to your natures. And thus having instructed them, you please show us, the great goddess of true wealth first produced her own pair, a male and a female of beautiful appearance, seated upon the lotus seat, having come forth from the golden womb, the first spark of creation, also known as the Bindu. So Mahalakshmi, the forearm Mahalakshmi, produced a male and a female. And then the mother, the great goddess of true wealth, said to the male, It's Brahma. You are the knower of consciousness. You are systematic worship. You are the shining one. You are the creator. And then she said to the female, Mahalakshmi, Kamala Lakshmi in the corner, you are the ultimate prosperity, you are the lotus blossom, you are the goddess of wealth. And in this way gave their names. And the great remover of darkness and the light of wisdom also produced pairs, I am telling you, their names and forms. Behind Mahakali, the great remover of darkness gave birth to a male who had a blue throat, red arms, a white body, and who wore a digit of the moon on his forehead, Shiva. And to a white female, Saraswati, he is known as Rudra, Shankar. He is known as the reliever of suffering the cause of peace, the permanent resident, a matted hair with three eyes, while the female, Saraswati, while the female is called the three, Trayi. And she's called knowledge. And Kamadenu, the cow who fulfills all desires, language, letters, and melody. O King, the spirit of all pervading knowledge, Saraswati brought forth a female of bright color and also a male who is dark, and I'm telling you their names. Vishnu, Krishna, Rishi Kesha, Vashudeva, Janardana, 
the name's consciousness that pervades all, Vishnu, the doer of all, the ruler of the senses, the god of true wealth, and the lord of existence applied to the male and to the female, that's Gauri, Durga, the nourishing mother, she who is rays of light, truth, the energy that tears apart thought, the beautiful, excellent fortune, and the energy of infinite goodness applied to the female. In this way, the three young ladies immediately gave the form to the males. The three girls in the middle row gave birth to the males in the top row. And this fact, those who see with the eye of wisdom may understand. How is it that Mahalakshmi is the first Bindu of manifested existence and she gives birth to the creator, the protector, and the transformer, along with their three energies? Other uninitiated people may not understand the esoteric meaning of this secret. If there is no manifested existence, there's only one consciousness of infinite goodness. If there is a manifestation in creation, then there is creating consciousness and protecting consciousness and always the consciousness of continual transformation. He who takes away, he who takes away, he who takes away, the great God. O King, the God, great goddess of true wealth, that's Mahalakshmi, gave the spirit of all-pervading knowledge to the creative capacity as a wife. So uh, Mahalakshmi gave Saraswati to Brahma, and Saraswati is standing with Brahma in the house of Lakshmi. And they got married. And to the reliever of suffering, to Shiva, she gave she who is rays of light, that's Durga. And Durga is the wife of Shiva in the house of Kali. And to the Lord of true wealth, she gave the ultimate prosperity. And to Vishnu, she gave uh, Lakshmi, who is standing with Vishnu in the house of Saraswati. You see them there, the three divine couples behind their three mothers. Thus, the creative capacity with his wife the spirit of all-pervading knowledge gave birth to the cosmic egg. They gave birth to this Bishpa Brahmanda. This entire egg, the egg of the universe, from which came forth all the possibilities the Bindu took form. And the reliever of suffering, that's Rudra, along with his wife, she who is raised of life, pierced the egg, causing it to crack. They cracked open Shiva and uh, uh, Shiva and, and Durga cracked open the egg. O king, within the egg were all the primary products, the capacity of the five elements to unite, Panchmahabhut, Shiti, Optate, Morbul, earth, water, fire, air, and ether, all they, they were all within the egg, and when they were set free from the Bindu, they started to manifest in various forms, and 
all the, the capacity of the five elements to unite and all this existence of movable and immovable forms came to be. So that's how all the creation became manifest. Then the goddess of true wealth, along with the consciousness that pervades all, they, that's Vishnu and Lakshmi, began to protect and to nourish creation. And at the appointed time, the great Lord with his wife, she was rays of light, that Shiva and Gauri will cause its dissolution. O oh, great king, the great goddess of true wealth is the ruler of all truth and is of the quality of light. She is the inconceivable, formless, and again, she is with form and is known by many names. Only her attributes can be named, and yet she cannot be explained by only one name. Oh. <laughs> Om Sam Saraswati Namaha. And we came all with a problem in verse 8. Yes, we did. But Sarvas Adya Mahalakshmi, first and foremost, was Mahalakshmi. It was pure sattva. She's being, an infinite being. She's Nirakara Chasakara. She is beyond all form and she has form. And she, of her own volition, said, I'm going to take on, become three. And she became Satarajatam. And she became Ahakali Mahalakshmi Masaraswati. And she became, she said to all of her forms, okay, forms, let's create pairs, male and female. And they all gave birth to, to boys and girls. Why not middle part? They don't have it. Um, they don't have any, any, any things, peers, only apostles. Oh, no, no, the, uh, first came the three girls, yeah. and then came the consciousness to perceive them. First came the energy into manifestation. Before there was manifested manifestation of energy, there was no specific consciousness by which to perceive the energy. So remember, this is Nigama, which means that the Divine Mother is, is uh, first. So in every Nigama scripture, the Divine Mother is first and foremost, Sarvas Adya Mahalakshmi. In Agama, the Divine Father, Shiva, is first. Uh, so here it is explained that first comes an other, the manifestation of Shakti. And then that consciousness is, uh, 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 arises by which to perceive it. Then we can perceive that, uh, 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 that form through the consciousness, which is labeled as specific to that form. Sutranga Adya, Sarvas Adya Mahalakshmi, the three guna parameshwari, pratam to shakti prakash hoche, pori the chaitanya vishesh rupe, o shakti prakash pratipari. So first comes the form of shakti, and then comes the consciousness in that particular individual form. So we've given the explanation of the first 
two rows of, of the altar. Let's see if there are any questions. We have a question from Sadatmananda in Washington. Namaste Sadatmananda. Namaste. Why does the pomegranate represent the unity of creation? Because if you crack it open, it has so many, many seeds which are all sitting right next to each other and they're all in union in this one fruit and you open it up and there's a, a thousand little fruits in there. And in the same way, it stands for the unity of all the seeds of creation because they're all, all the creation was in this Vishwa Brahmanda and the egg of Brahma, just in the same way as the pomegranate seeds are sitting in close proximity to each other inside the, the husk or the hull of a, of a pomegranate fruit. Yes, please. We have a question from Sadhana Shakti in Washington. Namaste, Sadhana Shakti. Pranam. How can we use this divine How can we use the divine wisdom in this chapter to deepen our relationship with the divine mother? Well, it, there are so many things here philosophically and experientially. First of all, let's talk about the philosophy. Uh, first is the mother of the universe is both without form and with form. She assumes the form even though she's infinite and beyond conception. The second thing is that she embodies all three gunas, all three qualities, and she, she takes all the qualities into herself and it performs all the various functions of creation. And third thing is they give birth to this, this universal consciousness which perceives them as creation, preservation, and transformation. And the, the, she became the other goddesses and then she married them off to each other and there was the interaction between the, the aimering, clean, moving on the stage of consciousness and the, all the male forms which could perceive it. Now that's philosophical. Experientially, we're going to find that as we go through our worship of Navarna Mantra and the cosmic puja and the cosmic altar, we're going to come into a deeper and deeper relationship with these ladies and we're going to find that, oh, remember in chapter 10 when self-conceit said, you wicked one, you fight by means of the strength of others. You have so many other manifestations and, and the Divine Mother said, I'm the only one here in this universe. If you think you can have a creation without me, go ahead and try. I'm withdrawing all of these forms into myself and now I'm becoming beyond form. Now try to defeat me. Of course he failed. So, in the same way we, we study the, the com, com, composition of the cosmic altar and the cosmic puja, we find within ourselves all of these qualities and we put them all into the same harmony in that same type of guided meditation and we move step by step through the cosmic altar, through the cosmic puja, through the chandipat into the experience of what that goddess feels like inside. Yes, please. We have a question from Julia. Namaste, Julia Ma. Namaste. When we bow to the deities at the beginning of the Chandi, you have told us the following. 
Lakshmi is the family deity, Saraswati is the village deity, Kali is the household deity, and Durga is the established deity. Can you please tell us why they have these particular designations in correspondences? No. Next. <laughs> we have a question from Sadatmananda. Yes, Sadatmananda. Namaste. It says that the creation of the male and female pairs is the Bindu. Yet Mahalakshmi, Mahasaraswati, Mahakali are interacting with each other beforehand. What's this state before the Bindu that has name and form? No, there before the Bindu there is the Nirakar. She is beyond all form. And then she manifests in the, in the three forms of the three goddesses. And then uh, the Bindu was the manifestation, the, the force that manifested. So there is no form before the Bindu. I have a question. Please. Why does this specific secret help us inculcate the qualities of the Chandi, as it says in the Vini Yoga? Uh, because uh, we're going to learn how to construct a cosmic puja, and how to construct the altar, and what does it mean, and how to perform the worship. And these three secrets are going to tell us the order of the worship, the order of the altar, and the order, the mantras, the mudras, the kriyas, the various things are alluded to in, this, in these chapters. And the cosmic puja becomes a commentary expanding on this system of worship. And that's what, how it helps us to inculcate the qualities of the, of the Chinese. We have, yes. We have a question from Ambika in Princeton. Namaste, Ambika. Namaste. Raj Yoga is often described as the teaching of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Is this really the meaning of Raj Yoga, or does it have another definition and these sutras have just become associated with it? Oh, it, it has a much broader definition than the Patanjali Yoga Sutras. Uh, somebody uh, in modern times uh, made that association when they were teaching Patanjali. But it, actually, Raj Yoga means the king of all yogas, of the king of unions. And it, it, it's a term which uh, 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 applies to the supreme knowledge. It, it's the, the knowledge of the supreme unity of the Purusha and the Prakriti, of, the, of uh, uh, the Shiva and the Shakti of consciousness and nature. Uh, the real meaning of Raj Yoga, it goes way beyond one scripture. It's, all the, it's the, all the scriptures and it's the highest meaning, the king of all scriptures, the king of all yoga, the king of all union. It doesn't mean Patanjali Yoga Sutras. Please. Uh, we have a question from Dilip. Yes, Namaste Dilip. Namaste. Would the prayers just to Bindu be sufficient in the times of conflicting forces? No. It will be very difficult for you to attain absorption in the Bindu without taking the steps precedent to making that journey. You have to quiet your mind. You have to put yourself in a state of, uh, of peace. You have to put yourself into a state of attention and awareness in order to enter into the absorption in Bindu. Yeah, I think you don't want to skip a step. I would think it, it's like, it, it would be like saying, please close your eyes and think of nothing. Yes, please. We have a question from Swarupananda. Namaste, Swarup. Pranam. 
The last verse says only her attributes attributes can be named. But it but isn't her name mother? Uh, well, that's one of her names, but that's an attribute. Uh, that's one of the things she does is mother us. But she's nirakara and sakara, so she's beyond all form, and she is with form. With form, she's mother. Beyond all form, what would you call her? You can only name the attribute. You can only name the form. You can only name the relationship or the quality or the characteristic. You can't name the infinite beyond conception. Can you? Yes, please. Why is it that um, the, the, the way this describes the setup of the cosmic altar starts at the bottom level and then goes to the top where we have the gods and the goddesses? It does not. It starts in the middle. So... Is, okay, it starts with Mahalakshmi and it, it, kind of, it kind of radiates out like that? It starts in the middle with Mahalakshmi and then it describes the Brahma and Vishnu and Shiva as the creator, protector and destroyer, transformer of creation. And there are three Shaktis, there are three spouses. They all came out of Mahalakshmi because this is Nigama's scripture. Mm. So how, how come the... Um the different forms of consciousness and nature, why are they paired off the way that they are? Uh, uh, Shiva with Durga, uh, they are the transforming agency. Brahma with Saraswati are creating. And Vishnu and Lakshmi are the circumstances of all beings. So uh, what it says is if we have the impulse to create, we need knowledge with which to make that creation. So that's how Brahma and Saraswati work together. Vishnu and Lakshmi, the circumstance of all beings is the goals that they set for themselves, the values that they establish, that they define. Uh, that's how they become the circumstance and protect all of creation to keep them focused on what they are proposing to achieve. And Shiva and Durga, Durga takes away all the Durgam, she takes away all the obstacles, all the confusion. Shiva allows the transformation and they are transforming all that is. So that's how they work together as three divine couples. They complement each other's natures, they do not compete. <laughs> yes, please. We have another question, question from Sadatmananda. Yes, please, Sadatmananda. Namaste. Is the Kazakh Puja a daily linear progression into the Chandi, like going up the chakras, or do they complement each other mutually? Well, within the Cosmic Puja you will go up and down the chakras, but there's a tremendous complement between the Cosmic Puja and the Chandi Pot. And if you want to really get esoteric, you can throw the Devi Gita in there too. Because the Devi Gita is an exposition of the philosophy, the Chandi Pot is an actual practical, how do you, where are you going, where are you trying to go? It's a, it, it, it actually describes how you get there, and the Cosmic Puja tells you where to put the flowers and where do you put the incense and how do you make the offering and with which, uh, uh, which with which astra with which uh, weapon you will cut down which osur so you'll be able to define step by step where do you have to go in order to achieve the goals of the chandi uh, so all three of them work together 
We have a question from Reka in Sacramento. Namaste, Reka man. Namaste, Triti Pama. Namaste. How do we increase the intensity of our devotion in adverse situations? Well, I think it's the same process in every situation. <laughs> we pray. The only way to get more devotion is to pray for more devotion. Because when you're doing anything else, you're not devoted. If you can consecrate your actions in pure devotion and continually achieve the humility through which you will pray for more and more devotion, then the devotion will come. But so long as we're busy doing other activities, if it's a time of adversity, we're not praying for more devotion. We're saying, oh, save me from the, uh, the adverse circumstance. Rather than thinking about the adverse circumstance, let's think about the Divine Mother and pray to her, please take away the negativities and fill me full of devotion. I'm sure we'll find a solution to the problem. If we're thinking about the negativities, we're thinking about the obstacles and we're thinking about the problems that have to be resolved, then we're not devoted. We're, we're caught in the ego. So the only way, whether it's good circumstances or bad circumstances, Reka, Sri Deepa, please remember, <laughs> the only way to free ourselves from a lack of devotion is to pray with sincerity for greater devotion. And that is devotion. You pray with devotion like I really want it. Mom, please. Give me more, more devotion. It's the only quality, the only acquisition that you can get where you'll never have enough. You'll never lose it once you get it. It's yours. It's her devotion. She's loaning it to you. Yes, please. Why is Kali known as she who is solely attentive to the battle? Because she's Egbir. She's a, she is a, a totally focused, uh, she's a hero, she's a soldier, she's a warrior, she's going to conquer our darkness, she's going to take away our negativity, she's going to make that Mundamala, she's going to sever the body parts of all the negativities that are perplexing us all the time, cough, cut off with their heads, off with their heads, and she'll take them all to herself. She'll take all our negative karma. And that's why she is Egvirya. Yes, please. This, um, out of everything we've gone through so far, this seems the hardest to understand. It's an esoteric secret. So is it, is it kind of point, like if we wanted to look at it on our own, is it pointless to to sit and try and figure it out? No, it is not. It is meant to be a meditation. These are designed to be meditated upon. Just like the mantras that I gave you in the Devyatharva Shirsham, which were actually codes which, when deciphered, could give us the letters of the mantra that we were supposed to meditate upon. In the same way, this esoteric secret gives you the layout of the altar. When you meditate upon the altar, you figure out, how do I apply this knowledge in my life? 
How do I use the, how am I empowered by knowing who stands where? That Shiva is in the house of Kali and uh, he's married to Durga and, and to Gauri. And Gauri is the opposite of Kali because Kali is dark and Gauri is light. And Kali takes away the darkness and Gauri illuminates the light and she is the energy of Shiva. And Shiva transforms when Kali takes away the darkness. She is the destroyer. She, she, puts, she is dark to the outside world. She's incognizant. And Shiva causes that to transform. Brahma is in the house of Lakshmi. Laksha, when you find your goal, you need some creative capacity to go ahead and make that goal manifest. And he is married to Saraswati, who gives him the knowledge which empowers him to create the goals that Lakshmi has defined. If you see this altar in your lives, you will find that this makes a lot of sense. So it is so subtle and it is so profound. If I understand it, if I could grok this message, I would become empowered. I know that Vishnu is the protector and he lives in the house of Saraswati. He protects us with knowledge. And when Vishnu protects us with knowledge, he always brings his wife Lakshmi, who is the wealth of our values. What we really aspire to achieve in this world, what we really value in this world is our Lakshmi. And our, that she is empowering Vishnu to protect us with the knowledge in the house of Saraswati. When I see the interaction of these divine beings going on inside myself, I just pray for them more and more and more. I say, Reka, Tridipa, please give me the devotion, give me more devotion so I can see them interacting inside me and all the time. This knowledge will empower us to freedom. We'll figure out what we want to do and we'll figure out the curriculum that what we need to know in order to do that. And then we'll study the knowledge and put it into practice and we'll pray for the blessings of all the gods to give us the devotion to carry through to fulfill our destiny. We can become what we choose to become. This is all up to us. These goddesses and gods empower us to choose our destiny. That's why we want to study this. That without a doubt, they empower us to, to freedom, to the ultimate freedom on every level of existence. In the gross body, in the subtle body, in the causal body. Tomorrow night we'll talk about the boy Kritikrasya and the, the, the lower level of the altar. Right now we're talking about the subtle body and the causal body. And we're finding out that the, these goddesses empower us. How do they empower us? And how will we worship them? And how will we make their energies manifest? What do we do with the power once we get it? We can reach for the highest. There is no limitation to what we can reach for. We will define our, our, our values. We will define our limits. We will define the, the ultimate goals.
And if we have that definition, we have that clarity of purpose, that focus, those values, we have the empowerment. We know all you got to do, if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an Indian chief, you, you buy the syllabus, you study the curriculum, you take the examination, you get the license, you do the practice, you put in your time, and you achieve when you want to be a, a, from Brahma to a blade of grass. You can choose where you want to stay in the, in the hierarchy of creation. It's your choice according to your values. Some people want to become mayor of the city and someone wants to be governor of the state, someone wants to be president of the United States, someone wants to be secretary general of the United Nations, someone wants to become Lord Shiva. It's your choice. You can become whatever you choose. You just set your sights and cultivate that knowledge and do that practice and make the investment that is required of your time and your energy and your resources. There is no limitation. If you want to be president of the company, make a nice company. If you want to become Lord Shiva, then do the Shiva Puja. And some of us want to do it all. We're going to empower the next generation so that we earn the privilege to become Lord Shiva. Because there's an agreement, you push, I'll pull. That's how it works. In order to get to heaven, you push someone up and when they get in through the gate, they turn around and give you a hand up. That's partnership. Working together to achieve heaven. And you can't do it alone. We'll all need partners. Whether it's a marital partner or whether it's a spiritual partner or whether it's just gurus and disciples. Gurus need disciples as much as disciples need gurus. Because someone's got to push while the other one pulls. Yes, please. We have a question from Ramya in Buffalo, New York. My goodness, namaste, you get around, young lady. Namaste, Rami, mommy. Does every guna have a positive and negative aspect, and do they relate to different forms of mother? Rami, every guna is operative, active, trouble, strong, all at the same time. And the description of the gunas depends on the point of view. If you look at me right now, I am quite dull and lethargic. I'm not doing anything. I'm in pure Tamil guna. I am sitting here on my butt, occupying the seat. However, if you listen to my talking, you may say, this guy's really loud. He's doing something. He's putting out a lot of air. In fact, that Swami's full of hot air. He's got Rajaguna. If you listen to some of the words and say, guy, that might have some meaning in my life. I could benefit by 
employing the knowledge that he's giving to me. His knowledge is empowering me. You might say he's in satyagun. They're all based on the point of view of the individual. They're all predominant right now. At the same moment, they're all existing. Mahakali, Mahalakshmi, Mahasaraswati. They're all existing right this instant. And they're all really, in, in truth, they're all in equilibrium. They're all in perfect balance. But because of my desire, I'm only seeing a preponderance of one quality over the other two. Just like when I look at the image of Srima, I see her in perfect balance and perfect beauty. She is Kanti Rupena Samstita. She is Medas. She is the intellect of love and she is the beauty enhanced by love. And she is in perfect harmony. That's my prejudice. I am not seeing any Tamil or any Raju. I am only seeing her pure Satya self. Now, when I look at others, <laughs> I see all kinds of things. <laughs> and it's changing from moment to moment. Sometimes they do something good, sometimes they do something stupid. Why that? I don't, it's the way I see. <laughs> They're not different. You are looking me completely shot to go. I look at you, well, <laughs> even though you wear yellow. Yeah, right? <laughs> Rami, mommy. All three gunas are predominant in equal measure at the same time, and that's called near guna. But because of my prejudice, I have a desire. I, have, I want something. So I see them as active, or I see them as intelligent, or I see them as dummies, or I see them as uh, inefficient, or I see them according to my desire. I don't really see them. I see my desire. And I label the qualities according to my desire. But actually, all of us are all three gunas all of the time. Right. We have a question from Srini in Bangalore. Namaste, Srini Baba. Are cultivation of focus and becoming expansive alternatives or complements in our path to the goal? Srini, when we focus, we automatically become expansive. And you can see that in your own behavior. When you are focused, you become efficient. And when you are efficient, your work communicates your efficiency. And when you communicate that kind of efficiency, it expands the, cir the circle of your influence. So you expand and focus at the same time. It's like uh, there's a centrifugal force and a centripetal force. And those two create the gravity which holds the earth in its axis. In the same way, when you focus to one-pointedness, you become so efficient that it expands your consciousness, expands your awareness, and it expands your circle, your sphere of influence. Both happen at the same time. Yes, please. 
We have a question from Ambika. Namaste Ambika! Namaste Sham! Namaste. I am a little confused about the nothingness. Could the goddess only see the nothingness once it was filled with her radiant light? What is this nothingness? Is it within us? Is it the final destination of our sadhana and we will only see it when we are filled with mother's light? Thank you for helping me understand. Well, there are two kinds of nothingness. One kind is when you become totally illuminated within so that everything is dark outside. And that nothingness is, I can't see anything. There is no other. Dvityam nat mamapra. Do you know that Adhitya, Adhitya philosophy is non-dualistic? If there's only one, there, there's nothing more. And that's the nothingness. <laughs> The other nothingness is when the uh, entire universe is filled with light and inside is darkness. Nothing. There is sunya. There is nirguna brahman. There is only illumination of the light. And that's not a thing. That's a nothing. Now, how could I describe it? The Rishi said, neti neti, na iti, na iti. And what am I going to say? Well, it's like... <laughs> I'm not going to say because <laughs> It can't be described. <coughs> Only we can describe the, the path by which it's achieved. It's realization. And in order to achieve that realization, we can create an environment conducive to that realization. We can, inside and out, we can create a space where I can be unmolested and undisturbed, where there's no telephone, where there's no movies, where there's no gossip going on, where there's no one knocking on the door. We can create a, an altar which inspires me to remember my pure nature. We can create a, a, a philosophical system where the most important value is to put myself into harmony and achieve the value system by which I achieve, I attain to nothingness. I'm aspiring to be in that bhavana, in that spirit, in that feeling. Those are all things that we can do. I can talk about that. Uh, oh boy, can I talk about that. I can talk about that till the cows come home. But what is nothing? I can't say too much about that. I can tell you how we go there. I can tell you how we come back. But where, what it's like when we get there? The Rishi said, na iti, na iti. It's not this and it's not that. You can't talk about it. How can you talk about nothing? All the greatest mathematicians finally arrived at zero. The symbol which is defined as the absence of something. Yes, please. We have a question from Chandana in Turkey. Namaste, Chandana in Turkey. Is it possible to use our intuition to know if we have made a good choice? When would this be appropriate? 
uh, you will know a priori knowledge when it, there is an intimate precaution and illumination. And uh, if you have choices to make in the material world, then I suggest that you use your logic. And if you have choices to make in the spiritual world, I suggest you use your intuition. For example, have you ever seen your love? How did you know that you were in love? How did you, I mean, you couldn't deduce it. It wasn't a, a logical a, a proposition. Oh, I'm going to be in love now. That guy's got a lot of lovable qualities and character. You felt it. And I suggest that there are certain things that you know very intimately within yourself. That that's my beloved. I love that guy. Or he loves me. I can feel his love. I can feel his sincerity. I can feel, I have this intuitive cognition of the existence of love affair. You don't have a logical deduction of the <laughs> presence of love. So, Chandana intuition has its place. Now, if you want to say, how do I create a financial plan in order to become free from student debt at such and such a salary, I would say, give me the parameters and give me the measurements and we'll make a mathematical formula and we'll logically deduce what is the best path for you to take. But when you tell me, I have a headache, I don't really know what that means. I never saw your headache. <laughs> you can't tell me exactly what it feels like, or where it aches, or what it is. You can tell me that you feel a headache. So, let's, it, it, it's not a logical statement. There you have to feel your way through. Some things you can feel your way through, and some things you can think your way through. Wisdom is knowing the difference. We have a question from Moshimi in Boulder. Namaste Moshimi Ma! Namaste Siddharth! Pranam. In verse 22, Mahakali created a male with a blue throat and a white female with matted hair. Many saints also have matted hair. Is matted hair somehow auspicious? Yes. In many ways matted hair is auspicious. Uh, it, certainly uh, for Shiva it was auspicious because he, when he caught Ganga on the top of his head, uh, he was able to let her drip down through his matted, forelock, uh, his matted locks. And so that made all the rivers of the universe. Uh, also you find that Shiva pulled off one of the mats of his hair and he threw it on the ground and out came Birbhadra. He took another one and out came Mahakali. A matted hair is a symbol of renunciation matted hair, uh, but uh, actually the matted hair here pertains to Lord Shiva. He's, he's uh, uh, called uh, Rudra, Shankar, uh, uh, Stanu, Kapardi, and that's his matted hair. So uh, it, it's an epithet of Shiva, it's not an epithet of uh, Saraswati. 
We have a question from Vidya Sagar. Namaste Vidya Sagar! Namaste. It seems that most questions are ones designed to appease or respond to the mind or intellect. How would you describe questions that come from the heart? I don't think the heart has too many questions. <laughs> Hello, heart. Is there anything you'd like to ask? <laughs> heart just has love. He doesn't have questions. He just has total surrender and total trust and total love. It's the mind that's fighting and he wants to rebel and I'm looking for any excuse I can not to listen to that stupid Swami. Uh, that crazy guy's going to tell me to give up all my attachments and go grow a beard and sit on the mountaintop and chant the chandi all day. Uh, why would I listen to a guy like him? <laughs> That's true. When the heart has love, there is no question. All you need is love. <laughs> we have a question from Sadhana Shakti in Seattle. Namaste Sadhana Shakti. Pranam. On page 330, the king says, O twice born. Is he speaking in the same way that Jesus was being born again? Uh, no, remember he was, he was talking to me Das Muni, uh, uh, the, uh, to the Muni uh, who was narrating the story and he said, hey, you, you were born twice, you, you were born into a human body and you were born from the womb of wisdom and now you are so intelligent and you are so smart, you can enlighten me, please answer my questions and save me from my doubts born of my stupidness. I am asking you all these questions because I'm resi resisting taking the knowledge and going through with it. I'm looking for any reason I can. I'm going kicking and screaming. I don't want to go. Please don't make me give up my ego and my attachments. I'm attached. I want them. Please let me keep them. Can't I go be into Samadhi and be there to tell everybody about it? And come up with all kinds of new names for Samadhi? And come up, I can make a trademark and call it something yoga? <laughs> I could make, I could get, do fundraising and get lots of money and lots of respect and be an important person in the eyes of society? If only I could be there when I'm not there? Please don't make me give up my attachments. That's what the questions are saying. Yes, please? From this whole Anga that we just went through, if, yeah. you, if you could give us like one major takeaway that's, that you think is really valuable to life, what would it be? I would say that the three gunas have come forth from the infinite, from the dawn of creation, from the infinite beyond conception, and all of this manifested existence is uh, a demonstration of the Mahakali, Mahalakshmi, Mahasaraswati changing, moving on the stage of consciousness. That's what I would say is the essence, if I had to give it in one sentence. Om Sam Saraswati Namaha Namaste.